Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. I had a discussion with someone this this week that I thought was worth highlighting this morning. And uh, the idea that this person had was to, you know, we have the, uh, there's a Apologia and others, but Apologia Church, Jeff Durbin, they have an end abortion now ministry and they're very much about ending abortion and uh, it's a, it's a something that they focus on and, um, and, and so the idea of this person was to make efforts to end pornography now. And um, there's an obvious difference between ending abortion, murder, and then identifying, even, even to, to be able to um, define uh, and then talk about penalties for something like pornography. And then that got us talking about, okay, what other um, activities that lead to sin or are sin ought we be trying to end? with our lives, what, it, what ought that be about? And um, talking, talking with him about, okay, so you want to end pornography, and um, what is it? What would be the penalties? How would you abolish it? And again, defining that became difficult. And, and the reality is that um, the goal in ending pornography was to end sexual morality that comes from it. Um, so, the ending of sexual morality that comes from it was really the, 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 the driving force of this person's desires. Because in their own life, they've had sexual morality that they've battled. And uh, the goal to then go uh, create some, some legislation that would help him or her not sin was the goal behind that. And helping this person to consider that uh, that for him or her, the way to defeat pornography and the sexual immorality that comes, sexual immorality that comes from it, is in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, not through some outward legislation that would keep him or her away from the temptation to sin in that way. That the the goal of a a law to regulate something that was causing him or her to sin. When what's available to him or her is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of Christ living in them to overcome that thing. And it got us into a conversation about what has God called you to? Has he called you to uh, a ministry, if you will, or a, a goal of ending pornography to take care of sexual morality? Because we got to talk about, you know, long before pornography, there was sexual immorality with oneself. Pornography is not the problem. You cannot legislate holiness. The heart is still wicked. And one of the manifestations of a wicked heart is self-sexual morality. You know, this person is much younger than, than I and my father. And this, this, this sin goes way back before there were moving pictures. Way back before there were even pictures. And so the goal of legislation to stop this sin in, in, in the life of the... Look, we have something far more powerful. What I'm not saying is I think end abortion now is a bad ministry. I think the murder of children is a, a bad thing that, that ought to be. But, but if 
If someone were able to end abortion completely, totally, make it illegal so that anyone who participated in that was brought up on charges of murder and that was passed as legislation and the gospel wasn't with it, what use is it? What use is it, is what I would ask us. So anything, anything that we, for us Christians, uh, we, we want to lead with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our go-to. That's our default. That's our fix to every problem. Our fix to every problem is Christ Jesus. That is the fix to every sin problem. We can't pass laws to abolish sin. The abolition of sin is, is in the hearts of those who Christ is Lord. And that's what we want to lead with. Okay, by the way, I, I was thankful for the way this person was motivated to combat this thing. Because this thing's evil. This thing called pornography. But it was misguided in what he was hoping to attempt to, to correct with that that activity. Okay, open Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Remember now, Jesus has been talking to his disciples and the tens of thousands that were following him, and he's been talking to them about, about eternality and telling them to not focus on the temporal. Uh, their treasures are not on earth, they're in, they're in the kingdom, and He's just been telling them to be ready for the master's return, showing them a parable. Uh, he's, just, he's just given this parable about when the master returned, the four different types of slaves and, and, and how they're behaving when the master returns. And the one slave will be rewarded and the other three slaves will be punished at different, different levels. And then that, that leads us right into where we are today. This is, this is in the middle of what he's talking about. Uh, uh, the fire, the baptism, and the division. So please stand. I will... Read Luke twelve forty nine through 53. Luke twelve forty nine. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it would all, were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, divided, three against two and two against three. They'll be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. You may be seated. This whole section, you know, the whole, all of the Gospels are filled with difficult teachings of Jesus. I think Luke 12, is, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's difficult because of our, our, our hearts, our flesh. These are difficult things for us to, to deal with. It's, it's, it's really actually quite easy to understand. It's just difficult to take on. It's difficult to swallow. 
Uh, we, can, we can tend to want to make the clear meaning of Jesus' teaching something much softer, something much less severe to soften the blow so that we can, we can own it. We, we, remember, he's talking to this, his disciples amongst these tens of thousands of people who are, who are hearing this. And, and remember how challenging that became that so many of those that were around him then and even some of those that were his followers left him later on never to return because his teachings were just too much for them. Uh, today's passage is very challenging. Uh, we, we, love, we love our families. Uh, rightly, and in, God, in a God-given way, people love their families and want to be in good relationship with them. The love that a, that a father has for his children and a husband has for his, his wife. It's a natural desire to to protect them and to, to provide for them and to be in right relationship with them. It is, it is a mother's love for her child. Her children is a, is a natural desire to, to care for their children and to comfort their children and, and to be in a close, safe relationship with their husband. The, a child's a natural way of thinking of, of their dad and mom are the best and, and they want to be safe with their parents. They want to be in right relationship with their parents. These are all, these are all I will call them natural, God-given affinities or affections. We, we, we want to be in good relationship with those closest to us and certainly with our families. But as we read this passage, these words of Jesus Christ, these are, these are Jesus' words to us. He's, this is God himself talking about the metaphysical separation of families. The fact. These are very instructive and necessary words, and I think they're they actually... They, they just make sense. Just something for us to... Sometimes it's hard to deal with these things. So in today's passage, again, on the, on the back of, of all that he's been doing, telling them to stay dressed for action, Peter says, is, your, your master's going to return. Are you talking about us? He tells about the parable of the returning uh, master to find these four slaves, and the one's going to get rewarded. The other three are going to be punished. And, and then we're right there, and he says then this, I came to cast fire on the earth. Jesus came to do what? If I were to have asked all of us yesterday, before this introduction, and I were to ask all of us, I had an advantage, so if I'd asked myself last week, why did Jesus come? I don't think any one of us would have said to bring fire. We might say he's coming back in that manner. I don't think anyone would just naturally say to bring fire. Most of us, many of us in here might say, Luke 19.10, to seek and save the lost. Right? I mean, that's what I... 
Look, if, if you listen to your pastor and you, you hear me teach, if you ask me why he came and I have to give one answer, that's the answer I'm going to give. So he did. Jesus did come to redeem a people to himself, to seek and save the lost. Matthew 5, he says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Why did Jesus come? To fulfill the law. To live out God's commands without fail. That's what he came for. Why, why did Jesus come? Um, some of us would say, out of John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to the will of him who sent me. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to do the will of his Father. John 10, 10, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they, they being his sheep, that will enter into eternal life via him, may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came to give his people eternal life. And it's true he did do that. John 12, 46. I have come into the world as light. So whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Why did he come? He came to be a light, a shining light to bring people out of darkness. He came to save people that would see the light, his light in the dark world. When Jesus was talking to Pontius Pilate, we see why he came. Then Pilate said to him, so are you a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. So Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. He is the truth. He came to bear witness to that truth. So he came to seek and save the lost. He came to fulfill the law. He came to do the will of the Father, His Father in heaven. He came to give His sheep eternal life. He came as a light to the people who were in darkness. He came to be a witness to the truth. And He came to cast fire on the earth. This is why He came. And, and not only did He say He came to cast a fire... He said, I came to cast a fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. Basically, I wish it were already kindled. So I came to cast a fire on the earth and I wish it were already burning. Now what fire is he talking about? We, we can see from this passage what the fire is and from all the surrounding passages. It's the fire of the judgment of God. Jesus saying that, that this judgment of God would be kindled by something and he wished it had already been kindled. So that God's fiery judgment were here. Now, Jesus' audience would have understood this, this thought of, of, of casting fire on the earth from, from the Old Testament. Speaking of God's judgment, Psalm 78, 21. Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel. This is speaking of God's anger at the Israelites who sinned against him in the desert. And they were demanding from God what he wasn't providing. 
and his, the fire was kindled against them. When the Babylonians were beginning their siege on Jerusalem, Jeremiah 21.12, O house of David, thus says the Lord, execute justice in the morning and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of your evil deeds. Down to verse 14, I will punish you according to the fruit of your deeds, declares the Lord. I will kindle a fire in her forest and it shall devour all that is around her. God's righteous judgment is a picture of fire. What's going to come at the end of the age? Fire to destroy all of creation. So Jesus says, I came to cast fire on earth. I came to bring God's judgment. And I wish it were already here. I wish it were already kindled. It seems strange, doesn't it, that Jesus would say, I wish the wrath of God, the judgment of God, that fire that I'm going to cast was already here. The next verse explains why this is his desire. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. The baptism that Jesus had to undergo. In order to bring this judgment, this, the judgment of God, the, the, the righteous punishment for sin... In order for that to happen, he had to be baptized. Well, I thought he was already baptized. What baptism is he speaking of? Why was he in distress over it? He was speaking of the cross of Calvary. He was speaking of God's judgment, his fiery anger being kindled by Christ on the cross. Jesus was going to go to the cross and take on God's judgment, God's fiery judgment. Mark 10, 38. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? He uses a word here, says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. I'm not just going to be sprinkled with God's wrath. I'm not just going to be dipped in God's wrath. I'm going to be immersed in the wrath and the judgment of God. I'm going to be immersed in His fiery judgment. At the cross, he would be immersed in the judgment of God. How great is my distress until it is accomplished. The cup that Jesus was going to drink down to the dregs was the cup of God's wrath. The curse that would kindle God's judgment. Jeremiah 25, 15. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Jesus was going to drink the cup of God's wrath all the way to the bottom of the cup. 
that was meant for all of these Gentiles who were sinning against him. He was going to be baptized into God's righteous judgment, immersed in it at the cross. Revelation 14, 9. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he'll be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angel, angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of beasts and his image, whoever receives the mark of its name. This cup of wrath that, that will be drank by those who are not reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, this anger of God was being going to be poured out on Jesus at the cross. I wish it were already here. I wish this was done. This baptism I have to be baptized with, this fire that I bring to earth, this fire that, that He came to cast would start with Him at the cross. Do you think... No, I'm sorry. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. How great is my distress until this is accomplished. Matthew 26, 39, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 42, Again, for the second time he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. I don't want to drink this. I don't want to take on your fiery judgment. I wish it were finished. He's saying in Luke 12, he's saying here, but not my will, your will be done. This is what he's talking about. I've come to cast fire on the earth. And I wish it were already kindled. Because I have to be baptized with this baptism. And I, how great is my distress until it's finished. Jesus sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before He was going to go and take on the fiery wrath of God's judgment to, to kindle this fire, to be the kindle for this fire of God, He was tormented. He was, he was in His flesh saying, no, I don't want to do this. And then understanding, but not my will, your will be done. How great my distress until it is accomplished. Something, something for us to see here, brothers and sisters, Christians. This is what He did for you. This is what He did for me. He brought a fire to the earth. And He wished it were kindled because He was the kindling for the wrath of God. He was where that fire was going to fall and begin. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. And he was crushed for our iniquities. Oh, how great is my distress until it is accomplished. 
Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before it shears his silence, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man at his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Yet it pleased Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Jesus Christ on the cross is the kindling of the fire of God's judgment. This is what he is facing. This is what is coming. And we can't, we can't even imagine the anguish and the agony that he experienced. There's nothing that can have us to understand that. To understand the, the weight of all of my sins and your sins and your sins and your sins and then the, the millions and millions of Christians of sins through all time being poured out on him the angry wrath, the cup of God's wrath he's drinking to its dregs he's immersed in his fury and he's separated He separated. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, not my father, my father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't even call him my father. This was the fire that Jesus came to take on for his people. This is what he took on to assure us of our salvation. This is the separation that he experienced for us. This is the backdrop to what he is now going to tell us. I came to cast fire on the earth, and I would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. How great my distress until it is teleo, accomplished. You know where that word teleo comes up? Luke 19.30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is teleo. His anguish was done. His suffering was done. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus' distress, distress was over. His mission was accomplished. He took on the fiery judgment of God for his people to assure us of our salvation, our deliverance, our glory. 
Then he says, got all that? Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? It's a paradoxical question, but do you, do, is that what you think? As I've described to you what I've come to bring and what I'm about to suffer? Wait a minute. Didn't Jesus come to bring peace? When Isaiah was prophesying of the coming Messiah, he wrote this, For us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. This passage for the next month or so, people are going to be intensely focused on. But Jesus said, do you think I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you. But rather, division. Again, in Isaiah 55, 12, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. At the end of the Babylonian exile, God's people were going to be, they were promised peace. Ezekiel 34, 24, and 25. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace. So, so his Jewish audience would have been a little bit confused. They were fully expecting for the Messiah to bring peace to them, deliver them from their oppressors. In this current time, Rome. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for deliverance from Rome like they had deliverance from the Babylonians. Again, in Ezekiel 37, 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. You've come to bring peace, right? No, I've come to bring fiery judgment and division. Again, this month, people will be spending lots of additional time in Luke 2. Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Jesus says, is prophesied to bring peace on earth. And here he says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. Among those with whom he is pleased. Just put that in the back of your mind and we're going to go on. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Jesus tells the disciples that he leaves peace with them. He gives peace to them. But he just said, no, I don't come to bring peace. Second half of 27. Not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Keep that in the back of your mind. John 16, 33. I have said things to, these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus brings peace. 
But in the world, you're going to have tribulation. And Jesus doesn't bring peace. He's just told us he didn't come to bring peace. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who? Those who have been justified by faith. That's who has peace. Ephesians 2.17, And he came and preached peace to who? To you who were far off and peace to those who were near. He came to preach peace to Gentiles and to Jews alike. Colossians 1.19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Notice that the peace that Jesus brings, this peace is not on earth, rather in God's kingdom. Jesus didn't come to bring peace on earth. He, brought to bring, he came to bring peace, not between Jeff and Corky. He came to bring peace between Jeff and and God, or Corky and God, if God so wills. He didn't come to bring peace between Jeff and Corky. He didn't come to bring peace between Mike and Sophia. And he's going to tell us that right now, clearly, crystal clearly. I came to cast fire on the earth and it would, that it were already kindled, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Do you think that I have come to bring peace, give peace on earth? No. Amen. Truly, I tell you, but rather division. No, I tell you, division. I didn't come to bring earthly peace. I came to cast a fire on the earth. And I'm, and I'm, I'm actually going to be the kindling of that fire at the cross. And I'm distressed until that. I wish it was done. The peace that Jesus brought at Calvary was peace for his people with God. In glory. This, this prince of peace becomes the great divider. The peace I bring is not to an earthly nation. You've got to remember who's listening to him. Who's looking at a bunch of Jews? And what was the Jews' thought process? And, and who were the Jews? They were God's people. They were part of a covenant. They were part of an old covenant that was, the sign of that was circumcision. So every Jew was in the covenant. And they have this nationalistic, familial understanding of God coming for his people. The peace I bring is not to an earthly nation or to a earthly group of people or to a, to a family. The peace I bring is for an eternal reality. For my people. And the cross is the great differentiator. The cross is the differentiator of who are His people, who He came to bring peace and who He came to bring fire and judgment. You see, he took on all that fiery judgment for his people. He did not take on all that fiery judgment for not his people. They're going to drink the cup of wrath. The fire of God's judgment will be kindled at the cross. That will be the dividing point. All people are divided at the cross.
from now on. Again, in this new covenant, in my blood. You see, Judaism was familial, right? Their religion, Jewish religion, was a family religion. In the new covenant, it's not familial, it's individual. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two, and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The cross... The kindling of God's judgment would separate the believing thief on one side from the other unbelieving thief on the other. The cross would, be, would bring division between believers and unbelievers. It's what he came to bring. They will be divided. Diamerizomai. To be opposed to. To be against. Division. Opposition. Hostility. To cleave asunder. Cut in pieces. To be divided into opposing parts. To be at variance. In dissension. This is Jesus saying this, this right here. To be opposed to, to be against, to be division, to be dissension. That's what I'm going to bring to families. That's what I've come to bring to families. This one event, the cross of Calvary, separates, divides opposing into opposing parts, places opposition in all of humanity into two categories. And those two categories that the cross divides us into, the, the, the thing that he's talking about that he's going to go and take on, has nothing to do with Genetics. You see, and what he's saying is, listen, eternally the cross separates. Clearly. And temporally it will as well. In one house, there will be variance, dissension, opposition, to be against, hostility, Opposing parts. Father, son, son, father, daughter-in-law, mother-in-law, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. Matthew 10, 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will raise against parents and have them put to death. This division, this separation, this hostility can be great even on earth. It can be great even on earth. If you, want to, if you want to see division in the Mike Reed family, come sometime when I talk to my adult children about their sin and their separation from God. Come sometime when you hear a conversation in my home about homosexuality or outside of sex marriage, outside of marriage sex, or drug use, or drunkenness. You want to see hostility? 
Come over sometime when those conversations are happening. These divisions are clear. You look, most might be too strong. Many of our unsaved relatives would rather that we be drunk with them, rather that we, we would accept theirs and ours sexual immorality, than to stand as Christ's ambassadors on truth. There are so many, so many Christian families who stay in relationship with Christians in the family, with two or three, three and two, that avoid the topics that would cause division because they love their families more than they love the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the world we live in, the Christendom we live in outside of there, out there, at least the church I came from and many I'm associated with, would demand this kind of ignoring of division. Acting as if that's not true. This is what Christ is telling us. You think separation is bad for you. How about the son being separated from the father? Being forsaken by the father. That's the fire he took on for you. This language he's using is from the Old Testament. Micah 7, 5. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Jesus, going to the cross, brought division. William Barclay has this quote. His coming would inevitably mean division. In point of fact, it did. That was one of the great reasons why the Romans hated Christianity. It tore families in two. He's saying Romans hated Christianity, and one of the reasons they hated Christianity was because it split up families. You know one of the, people's, the reason people hate Christianity today? Because it splits up families. The number of people, well-meaning people, I believe some Christian people that I have in my life outside of this place continually tell me that I should interact with my son differently. Regularly tell me that. In good, in, in, they're meaning well. Because they don't want to believe this. The cross divides. Eternally and now. There's battle in your homes, our homes, right now, in this way. There's division in our homes, some very easy to see and some not so easy to see.
Jesus consoles Peter and the apostles concerning this fact. Matthew 19. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and follow you. What then will we have? We don't have our relationships anymore. We have our homes. We have our jobs. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, what does he, what does he take their focus to? The new world. When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In the new world, eternal glory. That's what you've received. It's pleased the Father to give you the kingdom. And, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Will re- receive a hundredfold now. Look around you. Sister Kathy gives testimony of this regularly. Partially because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lots because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. She has no relationship with some of her biological family. Look around her. God's given her far more. Oh, but it's not my kids. Right. That natural affection I talked about earlier, we have that. But God doesn't put a premium on genetics in the new covenant. There is no peace in our families when we are separated by the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember his audience. Religion was familial. The covenant was for all Jews. We're in a different paradigm now, Jesus says. I'm bringing this judgment. I'm bringing this fire. I wish it were done because it's starting with me. And it will separate families. It's no longer familial. It's no longer, it's a new covenant in his blood. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in, from now on, not backwards, from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They'll be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. In Jeremiah, two different places, Jeremiah is talking about false prophets. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. These false prophets were promising prosperity and good things because of their Judaism, because of their ethnicity. But they were about to feel God's destruction come upon them. 
saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. There is no peace on earth. There is peace with a reconciliation to God through Jesus Christ for, for people and God. So, so when that takes place, there is now peace with Emily and I. Or with Pastor Nick and I. There's peace. But there's no peace. No eternal peace outside of being on the same side of the cross of Christ. From now on, there's going to be a, a separation that's going to be determined by the cross. This fire I bring, for my people that is satisfied, that judgment is satisfied, I've drank the dregs to the bottom. I was immersed in his fury. Over here, you're going to drink them. You're going to face all of that fury and that fiery wrath. And your brother, or your, your father, your mother, your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister, they can't bring you in. They can't bring you in. Christ alone brings you in. This, this brutal baptism that he was about to take on wasn't done for nothing. It was done for his people. It was not done for everyone. And moms don't pass on to their daughters peace. Fathers don't pass on to their sons peace. We pass on the gospel. We pass on hope. Jesus came to bring division temporarily, temporarily and even more so eternally. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? Do you think I'm going to that cross to take this on for everyone? That they can just stay in their sin and, and deny the God who created them? No, I came to bring division. No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. There's division in your household. And the only way you bring peace to your household is with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Closing thought. Jesus Christ and his cross are divisive. To one, the aroma of life. To one, the aroma to death. 
Jesus Christ and his cross are divisive. We can try to deny it. We can hope it's not true. We can attempt to create a false sense of peace with the world around us and even our own families. But the fact of the matter is that every individual is on one side or the other concerning Jesus. With him and in him or against him and separated from him. There is no peace in our own families if there's anybody on the other side of the cross. How important is the gospel of Jesus Christ to our children, to our mother-in-law, Mike, to our mother, to our children? It's not like it used to be, Jesus says, from now on, this thing I'm about to go do, this fire I'm bringing, it's going to separate families even. I'm sure it's true. But I know in my own life, there's been separation from many, what I used to have, what I call friends. People I hung out with. There's been separation in my family. By the grace of God, I want to, I love my children. I don't want the separation. But the only thing that's going to fix that is faith and trust in Jesus Christ by all involved. It's not familial. It's not peace. Jesus did not come to bring peace to your household, Pastor Nick. There's division in that household. And it's now, and it's growing. It's, it's perceptibly growing in some cases. Because as kids tend to get older, it tends to grow temporally. But know that it's there eternally. And what they must do is see their need for Christ, for, for the forgiveness of their sins. And then he went to the cross and took on the drunk, dr drank the dregs to the bottom of that cup and took on, was immersed in the fiery judgment of God for their sins if they will believe in him. Father, thank you again for the clarity of your word. I thank you for the I thank you for the love of family that you've given us. And Father, for, for me, I can testify that as I became a Christian, my love for my family grew. It didn't shrink. But Father, help me to remember, help us to remember that there is no peace in my household other than the peace that you have wrought through Christ with those who know him. Thank you, Father, for your kindness and your mercy. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Hymn 303, Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. 303. Three zero three. Stricken, smitten, and afflicted, see him dying on the tree. Tis the Christ by men rejected. Yes, my soul, tis he deceived. Tis the long-expected prophet, David's son, yet David's Lord. By his son God now has spoken, tis the true and faithful word. Tell me ye who hear him groaning, was there ever grief like his? Friends through fear his cause disowning, Foes insulting in his breath. Many hands were raised to wound him. None would interpose to save. But the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice made. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great. Here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears this awful load. Tis the word the Lord's anointed, Son of man and Son of God. Here we have a firm foundation, Hear the refuge of the lost. Christ the rock of our salvation is the name of which we boast. Lamb of God for sinners wounded, sacrifice to cancel guilt. None shall ever be confounded upon Him their hope hath built. Christians, unbelievers, consider verse 3 as we sing it. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears the awful load. Tis the word the Lord's anointed, Son of man and Son of God. Here we have a firm foundation. Here the refuge of the lost. Christ, the rock of our salvation, is the name of which we boast. Lamb of God for sinners wounded, sacrifice to cancel guilt. 
None shall ever be confounded who on Him their hope have built. Amen. I run to Christ. Hymn 166. I run to Christ. 166.